let's get ready for some serious shift. This is a podcast, Shifting Inside Out, hosted by your quantum shifter, Angie McCourt. We are diving into ways to empower and enable a quantum shift. Inspiring topics, hacks, and guest speakers take us on a journey around authenticity, challenging status quo, personal power, and living a purpose-filled life. In this episode, Barath or Ben Natajaran goes through his journey. And one of the really important pieces that I just loved, although it was a little bit of a woo moment, was when he said, it's okay to be average. I think we are so programmed that everything we do has to be above average. And I just love how he reinstated, reiterated, and totally shared his inflections that he's experienced for himself around Um, how he has basically set his goalposts without moving them to be it's okay and it's good to celebrate being average and then go for the upside. And honestly, as I think about this and as I think about what this can do for us as a whole is really releases the expectations that we have put on ourselves or that we assume others have put on us and really allows us to just be And the other flip side to this from a mindset perspective is it really allows us to take advantage of new opportunities without fear of failure, to take risks where today we may not just because we're so afraid of not being perfect or not being able to be above average for these things. And instead, what I love that Barath puts in place are those goalposts and does not move them, but He does say, go for the upside. And we get into this in a really deep way. And I think it's really amazing to hear his message about allowing yourself to celebrate your own achievements. In his mind, it is all about just truly being impressed with our individual journeys and really being content with the fantastic achievements that we have all accomplished I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt or on Instagram at Angie underscore McCourt. Marath, welcome to Shifting Inside Out. I'm so grateful to have you on this episode. To get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Wonderful. Thank you. First of all, what a privilege to be here, Angie. Uh, absolutely a pleasure to be here. So Bharath Nadarajan, uh, some may know me as Ben Nadarajan. I think early in my career, I went by Bharath. And then later on in my career, I've changed that to Ben. I'll talk about that uh, if we need to around why I made that shift. Just made my life much easier. And I currently work as a senior director for Partner Go to Market and Strategy at Ceradian. And I've spent quite a lot of time in the tech sector and have had the fortunate uh, pleasure of having worked with you in a previous life. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here as well. That's so amazing. And I'm so happy to have you on. Um, I've always had such a great um, admiration for you. And and you've taken on so many incredible, um, I, w- I want to call them projects, but that really minimizes like 
when we talk about innovation and we talk about like bringing new things to life, like you've been involved in so much in the tech industry. So I think it'll be really great for the listeners to hear your journey. But to get started, why don't we just give them a little bit more about Barack? Okay, so I have a few quick round questions just for the listeners to get to know you. The first one is, what is your morning ritual? So I have to, uh, you'll, you'll get to hear a little bit about just who I am through this episode, but I'm very much the average bear and I do all the things that the online pundits say you shouldn't do. So I wake <laughs> up, I look at my phone, I look at the news and see what's going on and unraveling in the world. I uh, peruse the gossip on LinkedIn. It's the only social media I'm on. I will turn the TV on, roll around in bed, you know, all the things that they say you shouldn't do is what I end up doing. <laughs> and I'm completely okay with it. I'm content mm-hmm. doing that. And then I'll probably just stroll down uh, and try to get you know, a beverage or something like that. So very good. I, I love the fact that you're just like, this is how it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what I enjoy. And damn it, I'm doing it. I don't care. what. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I don't drink coffee. Neither Kristen or I, my wife, uh, we don't drink coffee. So uh, if if somebody's looking for inspiration and not getting it from my response, I will say that after I come downstairs, I heat up a cup of water and I put some turmeric in it oh, and I yeah. put some honey and that's my sort of, hey, the systems are going now. It's the fuel for my day, if you will. So Well, and that's so good for you too. So all the inflammation we have in our bodies, I bet you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. How do you renew your energy? The the long answer is I love to travel. I love to change scenery. I think I'm terribly inspired when I go somewhere new and I learn something new. So that would be the sort of really a big energy shift. On a day-to-day transactional level, I love being outdoors. And mm. that could be stand-up paddleboard or just walking around. So I always try to spend some point of the day outdoors and for some of us that live in Florida, that can be a challenge this time of the year uh, mm-hmm. in the summer. But I do, even despite that, try to get outdoors. And it really just rejuvenates me when I'm with mm-hmm. flowers and nature and just the yeah. sounds of waves and et cetera. So. Mm, beautiful. Yes. And water <laughs> is energy. And then and the trees and plants are all energy. So, yeah, yes. a lot of folks, I think, have been cooped up a lot. And it is one of the easiest ways to renew your energy is go sit out in nature. Yeah. And just connect back into nature, especially if you're feeling stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What is your guilty pleasure? Wow. Um, So I'll sort of take two two versions of this. Food is obviously a a pleasure. I I travel to eat. And Mm. I know a lot of people have this sort of, oh, I love food. But no, I love food. I will eat food. And to to the point of being gluttonous, I mean, sometimes I regret having eaten something that I've enjoyed terribly. (laughs) The other guilty pleasure for me is just knowledge. And I say that a lot of people like to learn so they can sound smart and tell other people how much they've learned about something. That's great. More power to you. I just love to just learn and I'm always trying to learn new things. And it's mostly stuff that I'm going to forget. But I just love the idea of completely undoing a previous version of truth in my mind. Mm. So I read a lot. I read a lot of nonfiction. And so it is a guilty pleasure. I always joke that if I get 
sent to prison for long periods of time for something that I've done. Hopefully that'll <laughs> never happen. I just want a big library so I can sit uh, over there and read a bunch and not feel guilty. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, it's amazing. And I love the fact too, that you're like willing to release it because you do have to make capacity for new, right? But yes. I wonder if the practice that you're going through is there's so much new new um, research done around neuroplasticity nowadays, and, and it's really starting to come out about how our brains can continue to evolve, you know, even up to like over 65 years old, um, that I wonder if going through that practice of learning and purging and learning and releasing and learning and purging, like, does that actually expand your mental capacity in some way? Does it actually like activate <laughs> both sides of your brain in like a different way than most humans? Like, I guarantee it. If you were a science experiment, <laughs> like you would find, they would find that what you're doing is actually truly growing your brain, even if you're not holding on to the information. I don't know, Angie. I mean, I, I would like to think <laughs> that's true. I feel like I forget more than I actually learn these days. So <laughs> that's so, okay. You know, right? Yeah, but I I do it just because it's so much fun. Uh, and sometimes I think I'm open-minded enough that. I'm completely okay with somebody changing something that I thought was foundational. Yeah. If you told me tomorrow that we've misunderstood gravity for the last 100 years, mm -hmm. I'm all in. Mm -hmm. Tell me how. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that uh, I this juice for my uh, for my brain. I love it. So Okay, so what you'll really love is quantum physics because it's yeah. debunking science right now too and filling in the gaps that science couldn't prove. Yeah. You'll love it. No, Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, most of the stuff that we think is fact is probably about 200 years old Yeah, at the most. And mm -hmm. so things change and, and yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah. And in uh, my short lifetime, I've had to rethink things that I thought were absolute fact. I mean, this is good. This is bad. You know, there was such, there's so much gray now and I love yeah. that. So Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so nice to sit in the gray. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so one of the things that I have admired about you is that you've had just an incredible journey and I've had the experience of having conversations with you in the past and getting to know a little bit about your journey. And I thought it would be really great for listeners to just hear how your journey has been, how you've gotten up to this point that we can go into deeper conversation. So if you want to just yeah. go ahead and share your journey, that would be amazing. Sure. Um, you know, first of all, privilege to, to even talk about this and uh, I will sort of in a synopsis, I'm probably the luckiest human being you've ever met in your life. I don't think that, and this is sort of my perspective on my life, I've been very lucky. I grew up in a completely different place. So I, if some of you may know, but um, I was born in India to Indian parents. And as a toddler, my parents moved to sub-Saharan Africa to a recently independent at the time, a former British colony of Zimbabwe, what used to be known as Rhodesia. And it was a fantastic time for me to be there because there was so much change. Uh, it was a time when segregated schools were for the first time brought together. So I was in that first cohort of children that mm. came from different histories and sort of had to uh, be with each other. And because of that experience, I should say I had very modest goals. I just wanted to have a middle class life, hopefully had a career that could pay the bills. And I was a very average student, academically, sport, art, you name it. And I was completely okay with being average. And that's perhaps if there's a theme that goes through this entire thing. Um, I think there's a lot of 
feeling in our society these days that average is not good enough mm-hmm. and that wasn't my way of it for me i average was good enough and everything else was upside mm-hmm. and so i uh i ended up going through school all my formative years in in africa and then i went to uh engineering uh, as my undergrad and my graduate degree was also in engineering at the university of south florida where i met some fantastic people one of who you've interviewed uh nico was was actually in my class at some point when i was at usf we actually were on the same intramural baseball team and if you had told me at any point in my life before i came to the us and even after i'd come to the us that i was going to be a tech exec uh talking to you about my life in 20 years i would have genuinely thought you were crazy so <laughs> i have far exceeded every single goal i've had for myself and that makes my life much easier because because i've exceeded all the goals i had for my life yeah all of this is just icing and upside and therefore i can take wonderful risks with my career or with my mm. just how i live my life because mm. i i'm not worried about failing from here on because i've already done more than i have ever thought and i think one of the principles i would say in my journey was also i didn't want to change the goal posts on myself for what mm. success was uh so after i was in college uh i would also qualify that every job i've gotten so far has been through a relationship mm-hmm. uh, and i've i've hardly ever needed to apply for a job and perhaps if i did i miserably fail i i <laughs> i was hired into my first job in tampa um because i was standing in line at a banquet at the university of south florida behind the ceo of the company and we ended up sitting next to each other and she thought i was a very articulate young man she said when you graduate give me a call and and i did so uh i got my first job there that then a former boss from there moved to tech data and i followed that gentleman uh frank shines another wonderful gentleman that i worked with and then it sort of cascaded through tech and i had a great tenure at tech data i learned all my formative career lessons there um distribution is a place where you cut your teeth it's it's mm-hmm. a very difficult place it's a place sometimes that people have to feel apologetic for mm-hmm. but having been there i feel it's probably the best place to have a wholesome experience of technology mm-hmm. uh, across hardware software you know virtual stuff dropship like the whole shebang right yeah um, it's like doing a phd in technology without having to actually go spend the money imagine getting paid to do a phd yeah exactly <laughs> so i did that for uh several years about 8 years went to oracle which was my first uh call it big tech company loved it uh the culture was very different than than tech data tech data as i said is a little bit of a uh a silent beast if you will everybody is very thoughtful and very self doubting whereas <laughs> in big tech on the west coast in oracle everybody is very confident and so it was a big cultural change for me i'm going over there all these smart people around me and they're they're effectively saying we've got the best we are the best and we don't care about other and there was a punch them in the face attitude and you know here i'd come from distribution where it was very much i just got punched i think and you know <laughs> versus the the other way around and then i spent some time at ibm uh which also is a very different culture i would say if i could just share 
one place that I think everyone should spend some point of their career. It's IBM. It's mm. it's just a wonderful company from a culture perspective. And then uh, subsequent to IBM, now I'm with, uh, again, I feel like I'm doing a cycle here, a smaller tech company that's in the scale-out mode. Mm. It's a great product and they're looking to go big. And so they were interested in somebody with the skills to be able to sort of take that and move partnerships to the next level, et cetera. So from a career perspective, that's a little bit of my journey. All through that, I think my greatest uh, highlight has been learning a lot about myself. And I wouldn't have been able to distill that without these experiences. And now I kind of have a sense of what I'm good at versus what I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. And I also know I'm very average in the majority of things, probably a couple of things a bit above average. And I think that has done wonders for me. So that's a little bit of my journey. And again, I'm very lucky. Circumstances, good fortune, good parenting, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've just had good air cover and I've, I've had a fortunate career. Yeah. And you obviously took opportunities as they opened up to you because, you know, it could have been a test that CEO, right, you know, at the banquet was, yeah, give me a call when you graduate. You know how many people actually do that? Probably yeah. like 1%. Yeah. So you took the chance, you, 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 you followed through and, you know, it seems like, you know, that was a lot of your path. Like you were just very open to the new challenge, open to the new um, model, the yeah. new business model, the new approach, the new technology, you know, so that's, I think it makes a difference when you're in this mindset of um, possibility versus structured, like this is my path. Like you could have easily right. stayed at tech data for 20 years and, yes. and been in that comfort zone. Once you figured it out, it was like a comfort zone, right? But yeah. you decided to challenge yourself and, you know, you ended up taking those opportunities. So I think that's a really interesting, great quality of yours, by the way. So hopefully that's in one of your above average strengths. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hope so. <laughs> Leave on a high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, when when you think about, you know, these kind of inflection points along the way for yourself. Um, what were some of the things that you realized looking back were really great ways to almost better understand yourself, you know, really accept strengths and -hmm. that you could share with listeners that might be really good for them to, you know, kind of fall in this journey. Yeah. I think uh, my first point, I think I've sort of belabored that quite a bit, which is average is good. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. Right. And then the other thing I'd say is we should be very kind to ourselves. I think that, and I sort of said this a little bit, I think that we spend too much time trying to um, achieve goals that are thrust upon you by others. And I think I spent far less time worrying about that because again, I had such low expectations for myself that <laughs> I, I, I far exceeded them. That's at a all. strategy. Yeah, no, it, it is. It has worked out for my, so I think if you're kind to yourself, you know, best, every one of us knows best what makes us happy and we should yeah. just pursue it. I think oftentimes we, we listen to external guidance and we take it almost like the rule. I would consider that a data point. Mm-hmm. And sort of to that. So if you would ask me my inflection points, I think one of the big things that I learned when I was younger is build meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to distill down the yes. things that really made a difference. And I would say I have spent an inordinate amount of time maintaining relationships, building relationships, 
and meaningful relationships. Yeah. And I feel like that's a skill that I think is a little above average for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enjoy it. It's, it sort of comes naturally to me. Uh, the second thing I would say is telling stories. I love mm-hmm. to tell stories, perhaps to a fault. Mm-hmm. And what I try to do is I try to take all of my experiences, distill down the just sort of the moral of the story, and then use that context to explain to people, here's why I did this, or here's mm-hmm. why you should do this. So to me, I think that that piece has been really good. And my my childhood, my formative years have been great contextual elements to draw stories from. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing is, for me, attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the detail. Mm-hmm. I love to get in the weeds. So it has always helped me um, be successful when I pay attention to the, some of the subtleties that others probably just overlook. Mm-hmm. That business card that I got from the CEO stayed with me until the day that I graduated. And it was a matter of detail. Yeah. I wanted to yeah. send uh, an email out. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think those three things have been really inflection points and learnings for me. Um, you know, detail, telling stories and building relationships. And I think if I could give one piece of advice, it's a lot of times we we talk about the derivatives of that. Hey, I'm really good at algebra or I'm really good at selling to this account. But you have to distill down to kind of find out what that skill actually roots from. Mm-hmm. And it's usually something very simple. And then you feel really good about it because you know that about yourself. So, yeah. Absolutely. There is an exercise that I, um, I learned from um, the Yale School of Management um, Women Executive Program that I was able to go through probably about four years ago now. And um, I do this with my clients too, and it's called best self reflection. And what's Mm -hmm. incredible is every single person who has ever done this, including myself, you go out and you ask three, three different people, you just ask three people, what value do I bring into you know, a situation, your life, this, you know, yes. role, whatever, whatever the, the relationship is with them and be specific, give specific examples. Everybody comes back with, oh my God, I had no idea that I had that specific value in these situations. And sometimes it's the same thing comes back from multiple people and yes. people are just surprised and shocked by this. Absolutely. But I think it's a really, it's important because to your point of to really get down to into why am I good at this? What do yes. I, what value do I bring into this? That becomes a superpower. That becomes something that you can leverage to really make a difference. And if you're focusing on it with intent and attention, then you're able yeah. to really just, you know, use that as like a really big opportunity to, to make an impact. And I love that. I think that's so important. You mentioned earlier about moving goalposts as you have gone through kind of this, you know, set of expectations, you didn't move the goalposts. Can you go into that a little bit further? Yeah. And why yeah. is that so important? Look, if if we ask anyone ourselves, when you were in college and somebody said, hey, what would have success looked like in 10 years from now? We'd have all had our sort of uh, scorecard. I want to have a six-figure job. I want to be a you know, whatever, a mid-level manager. I want to be in tech. I want to actually do this, that, whatever. I want to have a home. I want to have a mortgage-free, you know, outcome out of this. I want to be able to get to this level of savings. There's so many things that people have in their minds. And what happens is because of evolution, 
the very nature of the human is that once you get to that first goalpost, it's not enough. We're insatiable, which is great. It's a human trait. It's why we have evolved to be as successful as we are from an evolutionary trait. But it is an endless cycle. Uh, It's a rat race. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I kind of keep reminding myself is, hey, at some point, you've got to draw the line and then say, look, I still want to go after more, but that's all upside. Mm -hmm. And then I can fail in those sort of endeavors, because if I failed, I still met the goalposts that I've already established as the standard. And so in my career, once I got to what I thought was the established goalpost that I'm not going to move, it allowed me to take a lot more risk. If somebody was saying, hey, do you want to go try this new role? Sure, because if I miserably fail at this, I've already been, I've already proven to myself that I'm worthy of whatever I wanted to achieve. So I think it's a big um, lesson that I've learned for myself. Now, I'm not also saying that your goalpost should be when you were naive and didn't know and you were, oh, I want to be a policeman or I want to be a fireman, whatever that is. Uh, It can be something that you set today for the next five years or for your career. But then you have to be honest with yourself. You know, you can't set a goal that you know you're not going to achieve. Uh, I can't say I want to be a billionaire and I want to be a CEO of Microsoft. That's a pretty you know, difficult goal for me. But you can set a goal that makes sense. And once you achieve it, and I think it really has helped me in then trying out new things, mm-hmm. uh, trying new hobbies, uh, you know, branching out from my comfort zone because I've already done that. So that sort of that that to me has has have been very helpful. And if I could only give you one guiding principle, it's be honest and be kind to yourself, and don't move the goalposts. Keep yeah, them there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Now, one of the things that I think is important in kind of stating that it's okay to be average is it's not average from a this is all I can be. This is all I can offer. I think there's a celebration that goes along with that and celebrating when those over and above things happen, when average happens, because average can give you more control over your entire life, not just the career. And it's okay. And it's actually something to celebrate because nowadays it's really hard for people, you know, work-life balance, work-life balance. Like everybody's talking about work-life balance all the time. Balance comes from within, (laughs) You're not going to be able to do it out externally. But the biggest thing there is it's okay to be average in areas of your life so that you can be extraordinary in other areas of your life, right? When you when you talk about this average, like how do you celebrate those achievements of getting to average and then also when you go over and above? Look, I think uh, very few people are above average in everything. Mm-hmm. I would argue that there's almost nobody that does. And we can take exemplary people like Steve Jobs or, you know, um, Bill Gates, whoever people derive their inspiration from. They were terrible at many things. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs was terrible at people relationships. He was, but they were above average in other things, in innovation. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what what I try to aspire for is on 95% of the things that I think are important, I want to be at least average. Mm-hmm. And I can find two, three, four things that I want to hone and be above average on yeah. and appreciate the fact that there's three or four percent of stuff that I'm also terrible at. And that's OK. 
And I think that if everyone thinks that they have to be above average, then what happens is it just moves the average. And now the new average is better. (laughs) And, you know, I was talking to my dad about this. My dad was suggesting to me recently that I don't know how you kids do it. I don't know how you go to work and never shut down. In his life, when he went to work, he had a landline in his uh, uh, in his office. And when my mom wanted to reach him, she'd call the reception and say, I want to speak to so-and-so. And then if the land rang, landline in the office rang and he wasn't there, she didn't know what was happening in his world. He was out in the field doing stuff. He was an agronomist. So he's like, when I left work, it was done. Mm-hmm. I drove home. I had no cell phone. I came home. There was no email. And now you're just bombarded. But being good at all of this is now considered average. Mm-hmm. It is way above average for his capability in his mind, but it is average for us. Mm-hmm. And the next level is obviously going to be average for our kids, et cetera. So I think that um, to be a little philosophical, I'm completely okay with being on the normal curve right in the top where I know it's safe. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are willing to do things that are unnatural. I'm not. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Um So being part of Gen X, (laughs) um, I've had this conversation a few times lately where I almost feel like the newer generations coming up aren't going to be the hard workers like we have been. They're going to be the smart workers. Like Mm -hmm. it's a different way of working. It's a give me, give me, give me the ability to work when I'm at my peak productivity during the day. Give me the ability to, to work when I'm at my peak creativity during the day, when I'm at my peak intelligence during the day. I think there's going to be much more opportunity to work smarter, not this whole eight to five, you know, everybody's crammed in a box, fend for yourself and try to go above average all the time through hard work. Like, I feel like there's going to be a major shift happening and that's good. Um, And it's still okay to be average. (laughs) I I absolutely agree. You know, the, the, let me give you a good lesson that I learned recently, which is, do you care about how it's done or do you care about what the outcome is? And if if we collectively care about the outcome, if I gave you a deadline of Friday this week, I need this done, I should then say, that's the metric. Yeah. I can't then go ahead and tell you, you must do it in this way to get there. Because exactly. if I tell you how to do it and you don't get there, it's on me. Yeah. If I just give you an outcome that I expect and I let you go do your thing, it's on you. And I don't know if it's hard work or smart work. I just think that we have to be accepting that our metric of success should be qualified. It should be the outcome. And all of the other variables, there's too many, mm-hmm. shouldn't be something that we should spend a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then that becomes very paternalistic to say to somebody, hey, you should do it this way. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that have changed. Um, you know, I work for a company that's an HCM solution, and they're trying to disrupt pay cycles. And till about a year ago, until I joined this company, I assumed that I get paid every two weeks, mm-hmm. or in some countries every month. And that's normal. But We've never asked the question, how is it that we're okay with floating money for our employer for this amount of time? (laughs) And the joke was that at some point, a thousand years ago, the guy who went to the quarry and was hammering out rocks didn't get paid that day. And the, the, the boss said, hey, listen up, I've got this new system. 
you just keep working for a month. And then right at the end of the month, I'm going to give you all of your money because obviously <laughs> that's the right thing to do. And we were all like, oh, that makes sense. Let's do that. <laughs> so now in our company, what we're trying to do is this thing called streaming pay. Mm-hmm. If you've worked and you've, you've been approved for those hours, mm-hmm. we know how to calculate taxes. We know how to calculate garnishments. Let's get them paid ASAP within hours, within days. And I use that example because it sort of changes the paradigm of what was normal. Yes. What is absolutely different. Now, the flip side of it, somebody will have a point of view that, hey, well, I don't know if that's a good thing if you give them money as soon as they've earned it, because they might burn through their money and they may not have enough money at the end of the month or whatever the case is. And the question back to them is, if they have bad behaviors today, they're going to have bad behaviors tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that go to payday loan centers to get a bridge loan to get through them. Let's save them from those things and let's give them money as they need. So this is just an example of what I consider completely changing the paradigm. Yeah. Same thing with work. Same thing with the way in which we consume information. Mm-hmm. It used to be that we really, really prized people who read a lot. You know, every time somebody says, hey, I read four books. Wow, this guy must be smart, (laughs) right? And it was so unfair because there are people who read and can consume information that way. And anybody who said, hey, I spent four hours on YouTube would be looked at, oh, he wasted time. (laughs) But that's the way he consumes, uh, you know, material. So it's okay if it's on YouTube. At the end of the day, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to outcomes. We're learning things. We're being more productive. And I think that's all that matters, honestly. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and also everybody learns differently, right? We all receive Absolutely. information differently and, yeah. and it's, it's, um, it will be interesting because there's so much information out there now that is very opinion and theory and philosophical, not necessarily truth. So um, the truth busting will be the fun part of, I think our information intake and our information society as we go forward. Um, because, you know, a lot of stuff that's out there, I use, by the way, YouTube is like my Google search engine for how to do something. Um, and, and literally just ask the question, how do you do this? Why is this not working? You will get some kind of a YouTube to that. (laughs) It's incredible. But the resources that we have access to are absolutely, however you consume information, they're available. There's so many millions and millions of books published every single year because the access has gotten easier. You can consume it audibly. You can consume it digitally. You can consume it in a print. You know, there's so many different ways to get access to it. You can go to your library to get access to it for free. I mean, there are like, there's just so much information out there. I think it'll be interesting to see how, because we're on kind of this information overload right now, it's how do we either create new internal processes for distilling or how do we just go to very specific sources that work for us? And that's like our source of information and and where we actually go and seek things out um, and learn from that. That will be really interesting over the next few years, how that all shifts and changes for each person. Absolutely right. And I think the paradigm shift it's not going to be around access to information because we have too much. It's yeah. going to be about curation and delivery of succinct, truthful, synthesized information. I mean, mm-hmm. I would love nothing more than an app that I can have on my phone that I can sort of tell, here's what my interests are. And here's how I consider uh, mm-hmm. information to be truthful or whatever else. And the algorithm takes care of the rest. And there's actually an app that I use for news curation. It's called InShorts. 
And what it does is it only gives you, I think, uh, twice the length of Twitter worth of whatever's in the article. And then I'll just decide if I want to go into the detail and I can go into it. Otherwise, okay, I've caught up on the, I'm up to speed on it, but I don't need the next level of detail. Mm -hmm. But it's more than just the title. (laughs) Exactly. It's more than the title, which is often uh, uh, a grab attention type thing. And it's so a misleading title, that. usually, yeah. Usually, yes, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, one of the things that I think would be really interesting for you to share with listeners is kind of your process that you've gone to to get to this point of understanding what you want in career and life um, that, you know, would create that contentment, would create that happiness, you know, how, because a lot of people really struggle with this. They honestly struggle with, I know what I don't want but I'm not quite sure what I do want. So do you have any kind of tips that you can share with the listeners about how you've gone through that process and figured it out? Look, I mean, uh, I'm certainly uh, happy to share my perspective on this. I'm not uh, in any way uh, equipped or, or, or uh, uh, how should I say, a fit to give anyone advice. I can just tell you, I'm a scrappy kid from Africa that made it. And so I look around and I think of all the people that didn't. Mm-hmm. And then that I have so many people that would trade their lives with mine. So how could I for a moment think that I have I have more to that I'm entitled to? I'm mm. not. I've I've far achieved that. So I certainly don't have a magic mantra. I just think that an honest conversation with yourself mm-hmm. without anyone else's input around what will make you feel like you have satisfied your life's aspirations. And that could be career oriented, but it could also be familial. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, I want to have productive children who are self-sufficient and independent. It could be uh, from a from a where you've reached in wealth, Mm -hmm. uh, comfort, uh, how quickly you want to retire, all of those things. For me, personally, I wanted to get to a point where I was financially secure mm-hmm. uh, to the degree that one needs to be and that I could afford myself the opportunity to try out new hobbies, try out new career trajectories, um, just be able to try things that other people who don't have this level of comfort don't have. Mm-hmm. If I was working at Taco Bell 40 hours a week, I couldn't learn how to fly. I don't work at Taco Bell for 40 hours a week. If I have an interest in going to learn how to fly, Mm -hmm. I want to go do it. What I think we get stuck doing is not actioning the Mm -hmm. upside. And that's what I want to do is I want to action as much of the upside as possible. Mm -hmm. Not being silly, obviously, not blowing cash because I can go and do a safari every week or something, but do do something that's a little bit more. So that would be my thing is just kind of self-analyze what what makes most uh, sense. Um, I would also suggest a lot of reading or a lot of knowledge gathering. And the reason why I say this is I feel the more I learn, the more I know, the mm-hmm. less I know. And then therefore the less I'm equipped to tell somebody that I am, I'm accurate on something because yeah. heck, I don't know. The more I read, I realize the less I actually know, the more yeah. I travel, the less I am likely to know enough about it. So if you're willing to, to be the sponge I feel like you learn so much and then they don't, therefore you don't have such a strong opinion on things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of gray that you can play in. And I think 
in my younger days, I used to be so um, opinionated, or at least I had a very strong view on things. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, man, you know, where am I basing this on? What I just learned in the last 10 minutes of something? Mm-hmm. And in another 10 minutes, I'm going to unlearn all of that and learn something else. So. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. I would just yeah. say. Yeah. No, I, of... I think that I think that was good. Definitely the introspection, definitely the knowledge gathering, definitely, um, you know, going to places that are important, whichever, whichever kind of, you know, part of your mm-hmm. life that you really want to focus on, you yeah. know, setting wants and desires and, and, and all of that, I think is really fantastic. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just sort of see, I'll also say, don't take other people's facts for you yeah. as facts. Yes. I think everybody sees a version of you that is just a part of the larger you. The mm-hmm. only person that gets to see all of you is you. Yeah. And so therefore, I think that's also really important is uh, don't let somebody project their aspirations onto you. Mm-hmm. Do, do it for yourself. That would yes, sort of be my... Exactly. <laughs> That's what usually a lot of lessons learned by people either in their 30s or 40s, they finally get to like, yeah, this wasn't really what I wanted to do. This was what my parents wanted me to do. Or right. this is what a, a teacher recommended to me in high school. Or, and I just stuck with it because I thought, okay, well, if I'll be good at it. Then I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people are like shifting gears then because they realize, wait a minute, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not what yes. I want to do. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, challenge the facts of what people are saying to you. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Do you have anything that you would like to share that's kind of broths billboard message with the listeners as we close out? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I've, I've sort of uh, peppered it into the whole conversation, but my message is it's all upside. The fact that you are sitting over here, whoever you are mm-hmm. listening to a podcast <laughs> You are successful. You have done fantastic things in your life. You are probably in the top 5% of lucky human beings on the face of this planet. Probably the 1% of all humans that have existed on this planet. So, I mean, how can you for a moment think that you're not fantastic? Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, challenge yourself to go past that. I think put some fantastic goalposts that you think you can achieve. And then everything beyond that is just upside and it's all icing on the cake. And I spend my entire adult life enjoying the upside because, Hey, it's so much easier to do that, to, to take risks, to do unnatural things uh, when it's all considered upside. So that would be sort of my takeaway. Uh, Read a lot enjoy the 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 revel in knowledge whatever that may be if knitting's your thing read about knitting or if 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 travel's your thing read about travel or go experience the world i would probably leave you with three of my favorite books if that's of uh, yeah i was just going to ask uh, you for any call out so absolutely yeah. that would be fantastic yeah, so three of my favorite books they come with three different flavors of knowledge uh my favorite all-time book is a book called Sapiens by Yuval Hariri. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a book about the evolution of us as humans. It's fantastic. Uh, another book is called Loon Shots. And I forget who the author is, but basically Loon Shots is like Moon Shots, but it's crazy ideas that change the world. Ooh. And I think it's a fantastic book because it talks about how we discovered antibiotics or how Xerox 
discovered something else. And, and it's all of these things that were crazy ideas, which is why they call loon shots, and that became inflecting points in our life. And then the final book is a book called The Sum of Us. Uh, and it is a easy read, but a difficult read for us Americans. It's a little bit about how society is it has become what it is based on all of our history and the sum total of our experiences. And I think it's a fantastic book for Americans to read in general. So those are three interesting books that I've read in the last five years that I recommend from a wow, knowledge gathering perspective. Yeah. And they're all very different too. So I love the, I love very the variety. Different. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, one may not enjoy, I think very few will enjoy all three of them because they're okay. so different in nature. But I'm the crazy guy here, so I enjoy it all. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. awesome. I love it. I love I love diversity like that. I love I, I you should see my library on Audible. It's insane. Um, <laughs> thank you, Barath, so much for your time. I know that you're very busy and really, really super appreciate you being on the show. If you like this episode, go ahead and hit me up on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.